And again by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Well, you able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Around in front. everybody welcome to a another exciting episode of the forever mighty podcast a post game show which we haven't had in a little while um i know eddie's really excited about this episode i'm really excited about this episode um just a really important game tonight really important win canada 2-1 <laughs> over mexico to I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, this is not a CONCACAF podcast. Still, still an important part uh, of my night. Canada Eddie. beating Mexico two to one, but that's not what everybody else is here for, and nobody, nobody but me cares about <sighs> that. But I keep forgetting. That. Yes, the Ducks. I don't want to say do the unlikely, but they they do it in style. Everything you could have wanted to happen in this game happened. We talked about it uh, earlier today. I talked about it on Ducks Morning Brew. The stars aligned. Getzlaff going for a thousand points. The Ducks going for a thousand wins in franchise history. Troy Terry looking for to extend his point streak to fifteen games, and everybody just hoping Trevor Zegras stays hot after a three point performance against the Vancouver Canucks. And it all happens in the most fun I've had watching a Ducks game in a very long time. And it's I mean we're on a seven game winning streak, so that's saying something. But this this was just. This was just awesome. This was just an awesome night for everything involved. Yeah, game eight this in a row. But I mean, like eight? up until now, seven games in a row, and and now uh, yeah, no, for the, yeah, this there's just not much I can like. I'm speechless at this point because this is just so much fun. Like we've all been waiting for Trevor Zegers to get going, and we talked about it on the weekly show before the Vancouver game. We're like, okay, at some point, like, the numbers show, like, he is going to break out. He's a skilled enough player. It's going to happen. Yeah, you know, I got I got on him for playing with Nick Deloy, which I still don't think should happen because it's – we're not doing that right now. We're not doing but that right now. We're not doing that right He now. has four it's goals and an assist in his last two games. And Troy Terry, like we said, extended his point streak to 15 games. Ryan Gessleff hits 1,000. The Ducks hit 1,000 wins. Just a Just a complete night all around. Yeah, I, it's man. I so uh, there's so much like it's so funny because like I have so much I want to say just because of all the things that I feel like kind of happened tonight and how they all kind of are interrelated. Um, first things first, I think it's really cool that Anaheim has a thousand wins as a franchise. I imagine in the Next couple of days, we'll find out how fast to a thousand wins they were, or whatever. Um, I'm also going to imagine that a good chunk of those wins came under Ryan Getzlov as captain, which I think is incredibly special. Um, I think if you were writing, like if you were writing a movie, this week yeah. is the perfect storyline. It's the Ducks coming out of the beginning of the season, looking better than everybody expected. Troy Terry's starting his point streak right around getting into that double-digit range. And it's just fun and exciting. And Getzloff is coming up on Timu's record. 
And, you know, there's questions about some of the younger guys, Maxime Comtois having issues, all these different things. But then you get Getsy passes Timu to become the most scoring player in franchise history. Then you have him get his thousandth point and thousandth win or the franchise in the same game. In that game, Getsy gets his thousandth point passing to Cam Fowler. And then Trevor Zegris wins the game in overtime at the end. Like, it is just, you know, we saw him overtake a great, and then we saw him hand the torch to hopefully the next generation of Ducks greats. Like, it's it's almost incredibly yeah. romantic in a way. And not, like, in the no, but bigger it, romantic. It, it really it's was, not... like, the perfect storm of a game. Like, you couldn't I, – I, I don't come out of this game – and I, I'm not sitting here thinking, oh, I wish this happened, or you know, oh, if, you know it could have been better if this happened. Literally, like everything I pinpointed, what would have been cool for it to happen if this game happened. You know, obviously, Getzlaff getting a thousand was the big storyline we wanted to see happen, and it would have been cool to align with the Ducks winning 1,000 games, which what they did. But even like the secondary storylines, like Terry extending his point streak, yeah, it's a secondary assist, but doesn't matter. He said 15 game point streak. Third longest in franchise history. Street, Guess yeah. who he ties? Ryan Getzlaff from 2007-2008. The only mm-hmm. two who have longer. Solani with 17 and Corey Perry with 19. Like Perry that with That's unbelievable. For, like Troy Terry's name is up there now with Solani and Perry and Getzlaff in terms of point streaks. Ridiculous and great for him. And he had a really good night despite only this, the one secondary assist. Like There was a few chances he had a breakaway with McTavish where he could have uh, put away a goal or got an assist. He had a good couple chances in overtime as well. Another just great, solid, you know, 200-foot game from Troy Terry. And Trevor Zegers, man. Like, the chemistry he has with Sonny Milano was evident. I mean, the guys have just been living together for two weeks, but they look like they've they've been playing together for the last 10 years. <laughs> I, I love it. I love to see Sonny Milano doing well. And for sure, Trevor Zegers. I, I mean, that pass from Milano to Zegers was great. The finish was just classic. And the OT goal and the celebration to boot. Like, the kid just oozes confidence, right? I tweeted this out, and, and I listened to this podcast earlier today. If you haven't, checked it out. The interview part is, is really good. It's the Cam and Strick podca- podcast. They talked to Trevor Zegers, I'm guessing, a couple days ago. And they released it yesterday. And he, they had talked about many things, but one of the things they talked about was some of the guys he played with in the USNTDP system, and one of them is Jack Hughes. And they talked about Jack Hughes' overtime goal this uh, earlier this year before he got hurt, where he walked around three guys, scored, and threw a stick in the crowd. This is a couple days ago that this interview took place. Zegers then goes out tonight, scores an OT winner, and throws a stick in the crowd. I, just, <laughs> I absolutely love it. Like The kid just oozes confidence. It's amazing. It's so much fun, man. Like, like the thing for me that sealed it on that goal, like not even the stick throw, was like he shot it. It barely crossed the goal line, and he had already turned to <laughs> look knew. at the crowd like, dude, I fucking rock. And it was awesome. Like, it was just so much fun. Like, I, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, like you said, like it's just, it's just a lot of fun being a Ducks fan right now in a way that it kind of hasn't been in a minute. And it's great. Like, I mean, I almost just feel like we should just be obnoxiously positive tonight. 
And so I'll say this, like, I, I was wondering during this game if, like, we're going to get real lucky and Troy Terry could be his generation's Joe Pavelski, who was another famous late-round draft pick American player. And, like, functionally, right, they have similar games. They play 200 feet. Joe Pavelski's, like, one of the best, you know, shot tippers in the game. Troy Terry's starting to show that he's got a little bit of a knack for that, like, I don't know. Like, I just think it's yeah, really. I, I hate player like, comparisons, but that that is one of the better smart. takes I feel like you've ever had. Like that is that is, and maybe it's just because of how I'm feeling tonight. But that was eerily like close to a comparison I've ever seen like, from the way Troy Terry's playing right now. And you think of Joe Pavelski in his prime, you know, or 23, 24, 25 in San Jose, just a complete player, right? A goal scorer, a guy who could put up you know 25, 30, yeah. 35 goals. A great playmaker, you know, group. Dude, I'm pretty sure Joe Pavelski has more has more, at yeah. least one 40 goal season. Like Joe Pavelski is quietly one of his generation's best players in a way that I think kind of gets missed, which also feels weird because I feel like everybody kind of gets that he's good, but it's almost like no, no, no. But like, yeah, Joe Pavelski, really 41 good. goal season, 2013, 14. He, he had two. 38 goal seasons and one 37 goal season. The all four of those seasons came in a six season stretch from 2013 14 to 2018 19 with the Sharks. <laughs> Couldn't you see? Like seriously, think about that that roster, right? And you have your your playmaker in Thornton. Couldn't you see? Just Terry having like a career hot streak for a couple and just doing thirty five goals in like three out of four. Yeah, three I, out of five I could seasons. even like early, like both of those guys. Early season like, or right? early like, career, Pavelski was a twenty goal scorer, pushing thirty, and a fifty sixty point guy. Like that is what we always kind of thought would be like the high end ceiling for Troy Terry, and then just a complete two hundred foot game. If like if he becomes even just that and maybe doesn't even push into the thirty forty goal plateaus that that Pavelski did in his prime, like just a twenty twenty five goal scorer who puts up fifty sixty points and just plays a perfectly complete game, I don't think the Sharks and Sharks fans, even though they didn't win anything with that core, would complain about having Pavelski when they had him. Yeah, I I, I think. Like, if you told me he was 25 and 30 assists every season for five years, just who he is right now based on, I would tell you yeah. he wins a Selkie, right? Like, that level of two-way play with that level of, like, second-tier production with a game that is obviously... Like, he plays defense in a way that you see. Like, you see him working. And I just think, like, that's the kind of guy, especially on a team with Trevor Zegers, who everyone's going to be looking at as, like, the super skill player. Like, Troy Terry is, like, the guy where you're like, oh, but he's the one who kind of, like, holds it all together, right? And you get, like, that kind of narrative buzz. Like, I, I could see Troy Terry. Man, like, if Troy Terry became Joe Pavelski, like, what, 85% of Joe Pavelski, that'd still be yeah. an incredible no, it, player. It still is. That's, that's how underrated Joe Pavelski is. Like, even if you become 80%, or seventy five percent, like three three quarters of Joe Pavelski are still an exceptionally good player. Uh, on Trey Terry, do you think like he's like we said he's closing in on nineteen, and to hit the twenty game record for a point streak, he had to get points against Carolina, Nashville, Colorado, Ottawa, and then can to beat 
Perry's record if uh, if it's still going against Toronto Sunday, uh, November twenty eighth. What what do you think? Like, I mean, I would say the chances are higher now. Oh, it's Carolina those on Thursday, Nashville, Colorado, Ottawa, and then Toronto would be the record breaking one. I think that is it, it, like every game. It feels more doable. I think right? if you told me that was the streak from eight, if you told me that was the streak from eight to thirteen, I would feel more comfortable about it because once it becomes a thing, right, the longer it goes on, the more of a thing it becomes and it just naturally gets harder. So like, I think, let me put it this way. If he hits that 20 game mark, he's going to have more than earned it at the end in a way that I think will like be the, the thing with, with Terry that like is starting to make me more confident that he could do it. Like when he was at eight, nine, 10 games, you're like, okay, like this is great. And he's playing really well, but 19 feels eons away and like the names on this list you're like okay like there's no chance now he's five games further into that he's at 15 games he's only four away from tying perry's record and like you look at tonight as an example he played a great game but only picks up the secondary assist had a lot of chances to to add to that tally like Mm -hmm. no matter what even if the points aren't coming like he's still just gonna play his game and create scoring chances for himself and his teammates. So you just don't really see an end because you know he's going to give a full effort. There'll be a, a game where this point streak will end that he'll have had four or five chances where he probably should have either scored or picked up an assist, and it just didn't happen for the Ducks in that game. And it won't be at his fault. It'll just be bad luck at that point where the, the streak's going to end. because, And that's what you love to see. Like There are hot streaks that players go on, and you can tell like it's like a pure hot streak. Like they're not playing the greatest, but uh, he picks up a garbage secondary assist on like the mm-hmm. only chance of the night, and that's it. Every game Troy Terry has played in on this streak, which is insane across 15 games, he's been full value for the streak. There's been no point in any of those games of been like, oh, yeah, he doesn't deserve it. Like he just works his ass off every night, creates plays, generates chances. Mm-hmm. One of the best chances the Ducks had all night was when he came out from behind the net. Did a little toe drag. It was good on his edges, cut in front, and, and had a nice snapshot on Vanacek. It was a good save by the goaltender, too. And then the breakaway, like we said. So just every game, he's just engaged, making things happen. And it, it makes you believe that this point streak could go all the way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I think that's the thing, right? It's like his style of play and his level of play at this point in time is, is at a way that, like, if it goes on, you're going to get why. But, like, it could also end at any time. Like, this is going to sound really stupid, but it could end at any time. And it's like you said, it's not really going to inherently be his fault. Like, he's probably not going to done anything wrong. It's just one of those things like guys just miss the net on wide open shots or he flubs a pass or something like that, right? And it's just like, oh, he didn't get one that night. And then he could go on another six-game streak after. But that one game in the middle would kind yeah, of As long as he doesn't change his game – because then it's X points. Yeah, like, I just don't. I don't see like, the confidence. So is so high. I don't see the point streak ending being like a confidence, uh, like taking his confidence down at all. Right. Like, 100%. As long as he continues to play his game, he's still going to impact the Ducks positively because he's such a great two-way player. And then eventually the points will pick back up again. Like he, like you said, he can go on another four or five game streak just because of how great he's been playing lately, which. Again, like we look at a shooting percentage, it's it's insanely high, and it's eventually going to regress. But all the other underlying numbers that point to 
you know how great of a playmaker and play driver he he is are are saying that he could even potentially get better than he is right now and and maybe not in a goal scoring standpoint but just as an impactful offensive player so that's where you see like the positives there that yeah okay he could go a couple games and get unlucky and the points don't come but he's going to bounce right back as long as he just keeps playing the same style of game and that's what you love to see from streaks like this where it's not just luck playing a hand in a few games and that's how he gets to the 15 game point here he's just full value for the play that he's had so far and you know it's unbelievable to see the fact that he's i think ranked fourth in the scoring right now with 21 points so far but it's not surprising when you watch him every game you know like the of course the narrative around the league right now is oh wow how is troy terry fourth in league scoring and it's still surprising in a sense for us too but when you watch him every game you're like yeah that makes sense like that's yeah I, I can see why he's fourth in league scoring. The, the kid just is amazing on a nightly basis. Yeah, yeah, no. And he has found really great chemistry with Ryan Getzloff, and he has pulled, you know, the old Ryan Getzloff, like, out yeah. of him again. You know what I mean? Like, he just gets off. You know, I've never really felt like his attention or his commitment has wavered or anything like that, but... It, I do think in the last couple of seasons, there have just naturally been like major emotional lulls just as a, as a team. And especially for someone like him who has been, um, who has played at such a high level for such a long time. Right. Like he's just going to have a a different understanding, like a, a different feeling, but like he looks so much more engaged on a nightly basis than he's looked in the last couple of years. And it's just like a big part of that is Troy Terry. And like, that's the part of it that's encouraging is like the guy that he's having chemistry with, there's theoretically another version of that guy on the roster that he could keep doing this with going forward. And that's, I think the kind of the underlying part of this is he's doing this with, you know, 4,500-year-old Ryan Getzloff, and soon enough he's going to get to do this yeah. with 25-year-old Trevor Zegras. It's 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 crazy. Um, but let's switch it up. I'm going to ask you this question, Eddie. What is your – what is the first thing that comes to mind if I ask for a Ryan Getzloff memory? Oh, man. I mean – First thing that comes to mind. For me, the first one that comes to mind, and maybe it's because I watch this almost every intro to the show we do, but it's the uh, the comeback on Catella OT goal pass to to Corey Perry from behind the net. He strips Darnell Nurse and mm-hmm. just throws a classic Getzloff pass to Corey Perry. Um, I'm sure for others, there's there's some more classic moments that come to mind, but that one just sticks in the top of my mind because it was like the last real gets left to Perry connection we saw. And for me, Perry is always going to be my favorite player of this Ducks generation just because of the connection I have with him and him playing in my hometown and everything. But, yeah, that that, that goal holds a special place for me. That's just the last time we really saw that connection. And, and it means so much in a game like that in the playoffs was awesome. Yeah, for sure. I, I think for me, the first thing that I always think about, and I think it says a lot about me, and I don't think most of it's good, but I always think about the fight yeah. he had with Joe Thornton in the playoffs. I think it was like game six in San Jose. And I just remember watching that live and just being like, 
oh, this is going to be a thing. Like, this is just going to be so good. Cause like it, like I, I lost my mind when he did that. I was just like, that's my captain. Like he's going with, you know, an older guy in Thornton. And it's just like two number one centers that like don't have to do this shit, but like they play the kind of hockey that leads to this shit. And it's just, oh, it was just one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite moments in Ducks history just because of the context and the emotion that came with it. And then the rest of that game was great. There's, there's so Um, many classic gets left moments. It's he, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane. I'm, I'm trying to think of like, like I have to be honest with you. Like there was a point I would say where I was worried he wasn't going to be a hall of famer. And I think the longer I've sat with it, the dumber I feel. There's some people that that are still out there that believe he isn't right now. So you're not you're, that you're you're you thinking he wasn't a Hall of Famer a few years ago is not as dumb as some people thinking he's not a Hall of Famer now. But like he's the ninety second, ninety third, I don't know, both numbers were out there. Um, player in NHL yep. history to hit a thousand points. Dude, Alexander Ovechkin just hit six hundred assists, which means he has over thirteen hundred points. Alexander Ovechkin is the best goal scorer of all time, one of the most productive players of all time. And he it's 300 points, which is three great years. I mean, well, four great years, we'll say. But still, like I just think it's so crazy when you think about how the level that guys like Crosby and Ovechkin and Thornton have like produced that. And then to see that contextualized and it actually kind of strengthens Getzloff just because it highlights the company of the player he's in, because I do think it can kind of be easy to forget that there aren't a lot of guys, 92 guys, 92 guys in the entire history (laughs) of the sport have hit a thousand points. I don't care how many games you play to get to the thousand points. There's only been 92 guys that have done it. And to say, just on that alone, Ryan Getzlaff should be considered for the Hall of Fame. But he's a Stanley Cup champion. And he's, I think he's a multiple-time Olympic champion. Gold medal. Or at least one. And, yeah, and I That's believe right. he's a World Junior Twice. Championship uh, winner as well with Canada. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a World Championship winner as well. Like the, And the, the guy has won almost everything at every level. And this was the last couple achievements for him to become the franchise all-time leading scorer and to hit a thousand points, and he did it. There's yep. absolutely nothing else Brian Getzloff has to do in his career. Like, they're, to to sit here and say right now that he's not a Hall of Famer is insane. You could potentially make a minuscule argument that he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think he still is, but that's the only argument I could maybe entertain. So at least you think he's a Hall of Famer, but maybe not a first ballot, depending on who he goes in with. But for for me, like, there's no question. Ryan Getzlaff is a yeah. Hall of Famer. I he has to get in, and with these last two milestones that he's hit, it, there's just no question. Like, there there's there's no argument. Like, this is this guy has to be in there, and it's not even, you know, it's warranted. Like, it's all warranted. His accolades speak for themselves. Yeah, he's 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 been incredible his whole career. Like, he's just a force of both ends. Like. He's just someone, 
I don't know. Like it, it, it's such a 200 hockey men ass thing to say, but like, it, it's just, there's something about the way that he plays and just like his game. That's just, you just enjoy it. It's just one of those things where you're just yeah. like, he plays the game the right way. And it's like, he plays physical, he plays smart, you know, it, you know, I was reading the article today where Eric Stevens had on the athletic of just kind of anecdotes from different players. And all of them were just like, he, he's just plays the game in a way that's fun like he just plays the game in a way that is meaningful and impactful and like it's just it's just so much fun to just watch him throw his body around there like and see him just dominate people physically and then also make passes that 10 guys in the league can make yeah. like and, it's, and it's you just watch incredible. the development of some of these young kids and the impact that ryan Getzlaff has on them and you see some of the interviews where they talk about him and i know they're not going to go into the media and say bad things about him no matter what but you can see the impact that keeping a player like ryan Getzlaff around has on guys like troy terry and trevor zegris and jamie drysdale and how invaluable that is for the future of the ducks to have that guy impart all this knowledge and experience onto them to lead the ducks into you know the next decade and the next generation and it you know it it it, you can kind of see why you know they didn't trade him at the deadline last year and they brought him back for another year this year and could even potentially you know depending on what he wants to do bring him back for another year next year like the the points are back. He's found chemistry with Troy Terry. The only detriment that we or not even detriment, but the only argument or complaint we had about him over the last couple of years is the point totals had regressed. But that makes sense because he was getting older. But he was still an impactful player defensively for the Ducks. He was one of the Ducks' best defensive forwards. And now that the points have come back, there's no argument there at all. Like he's still a very valuable player for the Ducks this year. And he right now, I would say. At this point in the season, he's been their second best forward. Troy Terry and then Ryan Getzlaff. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Like, it it took, let me just double check this real quick. Yep, it took a pandemic to break his uh, 30, 30 assist. Thing, but he also had almost 30 assists in every season. Uh, no. Yeah, he had 30 assists every year, but his rookie year going into last season. Oh, no. 1920. He had 29 assists in 69 games. But but before that, he had a streak of, yeah, 30 assists. It's crazy. Dude, he's so fucking good. It's so stupid. Like, I don't know. Here, let's do this. I am going to go to Hockey Reference on my computer, which I can use like an adult and we are going to see who is around him in all time points. In all time points. I know Kopitar is there. Um, Korea obviously is the closest um, player to not hit a thousand points. Who's right on that threshold. Korea just sits at 93rd overall in all time points just because he can't, uh, he couldn't get the last 11 points that he needed. That's so it's disappointing, crazy, but dude. Yeah, Ryan Getzlaff is at a thousand now. Brian Prop is at a thousand and four. And yeah, Lane Lanny McDonald, undisputed Hall of Famer, a thousand and six points in one hundred eleven games. Getzlaff a thousand points in one hundred eighteen. Not not far off. Okay, so he's got a thousand points now. Let's see. Uh, do you think he can catch Daniel Sedin at ten forty one this season? 
do you think he can get 40 points in the over the course I of the mean, rest of the season? I mean, he's playing the way he is, right? I mean, I don't think he's going to finish the season a point-per-game player, but I think, you know, 50 to 60 points are within reach as long as he, he keeps playing the way he is. We say he only needs 40. That puts him at around 57, 58 okay. at the end of the year. It's it's close. You know, he'll get he'll get in touching distance of Martin St. Louis at 10.33 and Eric Stahl at 10.34. And I think Daniel Sedin is kind of right at, like, the top end of the peak of what he could – where he could finish the year, which would put him 75th all time. Eddie, he needs to get to 1066. Do you see why? Yeah, but where would that put him all time? (laughs) He's got to beat Kopitar there, though. That's the thing, too, right? Because Kopitar is the only active player that is uh, close to him, and Spezza, but we all know Spezza's not... um... Spence is not catching Getzlaff in points by the end of the year, so he's got to he's got to get there before Kopitar okay. gets there, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. As long as I mean, if Kopitar True. stays True. in front of him, who um, one guy I, like we could talk about Getzlaff forever for for good reason. I want to talk about a few other guys too. Um, all of a sudden, Cam Fowler, oh, he fuck. is on a five game point streak. He's got two goals and three assists yeah, in the last five games. And over the last eight games, he's got two goals and six assists. So a nice little, nice little resurgence for Cam, which is nice. I mean, like all the blue liners, um, offensive wise, have been really good this year. Fowler and Shattenkirk have have had a nice jump in their point production. I think Jamie Drysdale started to come on as of late. Lindholm offensively lately has been better, a goal and three assists in his last five games. So the Ducks are starting to get offense from the back end as well. When you know, we talked about early on in this win streak, if the Ducks were going to sustain this type of play and, and continue to win games, it can't just be Getzlaff and Terry. And that's what we've seen near the end of this win streak, or you know, right now heading into an eight-game win streak, is now Zegers and Milano have stepped up. And you've got Fowler and Shattenkirk and Lindholm and Drysdale contributing <laughs> offensively from the blue line. And all of a sudden, the rest of this team is clicking. You have to think, okay, now Silverberg's back, and he's playing with Lindstrom and McTavish, and I thought they looked great tonight. And you still have Raquel not in the lineup, and you still have – who am I missing? Somebody else is out right now too. Comtois. Comtois is on the IR. So you're still missing Raquel and Comtois as well. Comtois was your leading point getter last year, and Ricardo Raquel was off to a great start this year. I mean, you know, you don't want to break anything up chemistry-wise, but – it's pretty crazy to think that the Ducks can add two players like that to their you know, top six or top nine offensively. Yeah, well, the other thing is that's worth highlighting is, like, this is why the production in the beginning of this season from depth players, like Shattenkirk getting those, like, big-time timely goals early in the season, Lundestrom getting goals early in the season, Um you know, one of the things that we said that it did is it bought it buys times for your other players to get their feet under them, and it's kind of interesting that like right as some of the production from the bottom of the roster seems to have fallen off naturally as you expect it to, the top of the roster has finally found it, and now you've got like Zegers just put up back to back two goal games. You know what I mean? So like, this is it's now at a point where you can see the benefit of having that kind of depth potentially going forward is it allows you to ride out uh, those streaks where maybe your stars aren't producing, just like getting the goals, right? Not even about level of play, just 
even if they just go through a yep. snake and and don't look now for Zegris too he has jumped into the conversation again for the Calder trophy in terms of uh leading scores for rookies Lucas Raymond is still well above the pack he is at 18 points in 18 games Cider has 13 Dawson Mercer has 11 and then Trevor Zegris is there with 10 and second in rookie scoring with six goals behind only Lucas Raymond so all of a sudden Trevor Zegers has jumped back into the conversation with the really just his play over the last two games. Five of those ten points he has on the season coming in the last two games. Um, this is what we've been waiting for, right, from from Trevor Zegers is, is games like this. And, and it's not even like his play has changed because he's been doing the same things he's been doing these last two games all season. It's just now the chances are going mm-hmm. in from him. And now he's found that chemistry with Milano and things are just clicking and sometimes that's all it takes right is you know think you know along the same lines as Troy Terry he's been playing well every game but the points have been going in he's and he's been scoring he's been picking up assists for Terry now we're seeing dividends for Trevor Zegers based on his play throughout the entire season which which is scary the rest of the league should be terrified uh that Trevor Zegers is starting to put up points and and not only just put up points like scoring goals four goals in the last five games back-to-back two goal games the guy noted for his passing has uh yeah i i was gonna say i feel like we might be able to put that one to bed eh, about worrying that he's going to be the next gets off and he's not going to be willing to shoot he does not seem to have a problem shooting and i mean that in a the best way possible like he has absolutely accepted that i am gonna score a goal if i shoot and i'm gonna score a goal if i pass so i'll just do whatever whatever is best and he, he he it's just been wonderful like his willingness to shoot it just it, it's completely different than Getzloff's who was just like I'm not going to do this unless yeah. I absolutely have to and he's like if you're going to give it I'll take it and you know I it's just really exciting it's just a lot of fun right now to see the way that he plays like his creativity like spinning backhand passes and all that kind of shit like it's just it's a whole nother level he just plays like we've said a thousand times he plays with a swagger and a confidence in a, in, in, a, in a personality that's just a breath of fresh air for this team, which has, even at its best, just been so grumpy. Like, it's, you know, it wasn't nice. There wasn't anything fun about the best versions of the Ducks teams unless you were a fan of the team. Um, but, like, Trevor Zegers, like, you just enjoy that kid because he's good. He, he and picks his moments, fun. too, I think is the best thing. Like, we've seen some pretty impressive plays, spin around passes, like you said, backhand passes. Never have they really resulted in or an odd man rush the other way, right? Like a classic gets left drop pass at the blue line. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to, I'm not trying to get. I can't, I can't say that now. Because Don't do we're, it. We're, we're, we just hit a thousand. Man, points. just we had a thousand points. But we haven't seen something like that, right? Where the he's got himself in trouble for trying to be too creative. He picks the right moments to make plays like that, where it's not going to impact the Ducks negatively. And along the same lines with his shooting, like he just picks the right moments to decide to, to shoot the puck. Unlike Getzlaff, when you know, Getzlaff has shot the puck, I think, second most on the team this year, only behind Adam Henrique, shot the puck a lot, but he just volume shoots the puck, right? Doesn't really pick the right moments to shoot the oh. puck. And I guess that comes from a career of not really ever shooting the puck, right? Now you're just throwing everything on net and... He's got a great shot, but he doesn't. Getzlaff doesn't really pick the right moments necessarily to shoot. And that's not a detriment to Getzlaff. He's one of the best passers in the league, so you know that that is within his skill set. But what I've noticed from Zegers is, if he can make the pass, he'll make it in in the same similar sense to to Getzlaff. There, right? Is he's still a pass first guy, 
But if he has the right opportunity to shoot, he's going to shoot it. He's not passing it up, but he will shoot the puck. And you know, we saw that in overtime there. We saw that over the last couple of games, the one time around the power play. Uh, he just picks his right moments to shoot the puck, and that makes him such a dangerous player because teams and, and opposition players are going to be waiting for him constantly to pass with that in the back of their minds that he can still beat you with the shot. And not knowing when is going to be the perfect moment for him to make the shot. Only Zegris knows that. And it, he's just such a dangerous player to have both of those skill sets in his arsenal where he can come in close and he can beat you with his hands. He can take a, you know, he's got a surprisingly powerful, accurate shot. And he just makes it look effortless where he can beat you from kind of anywhere on the ice. And then he's just got this unreal passing ability that if he can catch somebody with a backhand pass who's streaking in on the back post like Milano the other day. Or he can, you know, stop on a dime and, and throw a pass back to the blue line. He just has, like, this full range uh, of, of, of an arsenal of skill sets that just makes him such a scary player when you look at his projection down the road and what he could be. And, you know, we've, we've heard the comparisons, and he's even put these forward of, uh, of a player that he admires, like a Patrick Kane-type player. That skill set, when you break it down like that, is eerily similar to Patrick Kane, right? And when Kane came into the league, he was a dynamic, skillful, passing player, thought of as a pass-first guy. And I, I wouldn't say Patrick Kane has one of the best shots in the league, but he's just picks the right moments, and he's got a deceptively accurate, powerful shot that he can effort, effortlessly beat opposing netminders. And I feel like Zegras is kind of in the same mold there of, of what they both bring to the game. And... I mean, if he became, you know, like we said before, if Terry became three-quarters of Pavelski, we'd be happy. If Zegers becomes anywhere near what Patrick Kane has become over his career, I think all of us would be ecstatic for him to be anywhere near that. But it, it's showing signs from Zegers of what he could become over this two-game stretch here, and it, it's scary. And it's fun for us because he's going to be part of the Ducks, right? So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that for me, like that final – uh the goal in overtime i think is really indicative of like the difference because like i was watching that and once he kind of turned it and turned back towards the net there was like a lane that he could have tried to thread a pass through and to make the pass and he was just like oh no i can just shoot this and score and like i watched it and expected him to make the pass one because he is such an incredible passer that I, it wouldn't surprise me if he pulled it off. But two, I've been conditioned by Getzloff to just expect him to pass in that situation. And so for him to shoot and just put it away perfectly like that, like it was, it was just a blast. Um, uh, Alex Gleaf on Twitter made the point that I thought was interesting that basically that overtime was really boring uh, until the end when Trevor Zegers got the puck yeah. and then it just got really fun all of a sudden. So and I thought that why... was pretty right. Zegris had 10 pims tonight. Was it for throwing a stick into the crowd? I think so. I Probably. just noticed that I was looking at the stat line. I was looking that's, at the stat that's line. That's embarrassing. <laughs> that, I don't remember him ever that getting sucks. a misconduct or being we... in the box, but he, yeah, he's... No, it's 100%. I gotta go back and look at Jack Hughes' game. What are we... see if he had a 10, 10 penalty minutes for that. He 100% would have gotten a 10, like... God, at that point, like, what, what is that? Like, what does that just do? Because it's not going to exactly. follow him over exactly. the next game. There's it no way, like, the NHL is not going to do anything about that. So, 
Yeah, he's gonna go sit in the bench All on the box for the first ten minutes of the game. Have him in Pim League is very happy that he threw a stick into the crowd. <laughs> yeah, elite exactly. power forward. Trevor. Uh, actually, Zegers. along those lines, there's one kid I want to talk about today, and that's Mason McTavish because quietly again, McTavish doing what he does best and just being, you know, a modern day power forward, living in front of the net. He had a couple of plays where he made some power drives behind the net with one hand on his stick and was like shrugging off some pretty strong. Like the Capitals are a big team; they're a heavy team, and he looked yes. right at home in this yes, game. Like this, this was one of my favorite games for McTavish all year. Like he just looked really comfortable. He looked like he he kind of thrived in the way this game was a really close physical hockey game. And I like the look of him with Isaac Lindstrom and Jakob Silverberg a lot. And, you know, we're nearing the nine-game mark for him. This was game number eight for McTavish. He's only got two goals and an assist, which isn't bad. But he just fits in, doesn't he? Like, he just plays you know, with no Max Jones, with no Maxim Comtois in the lineup. He just fits in perfectly and does exactly what we would want from guys like Jones and come to him being a physical presence who can get in front of the net and make things happen and, you know, block out the sun and just be a really good player. And this was one of, one of the best games I think of the season for McTavish. And I, I, you know, we're coming to a decision here, but I think he deserves to stick around. I, I think the ducks are better with him in the lineup than they are without. Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I mean, I think especially um, with Com with Comtois being waiver exempt, this is I think his last year of waiver exemption. Um, I I think it makes sense to keep a guy like McTavish around. Um, you know, I I assume within the next six weeks someone isn't going to be here, and it's probably going to be a forward to some extent. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, I wonder if someone's not on this team in the not-too-distant future. And if so, like, McTavish, like you said, has more than earned the opportunity to continue to be a presence in this top nine. And he seems to look really good out there with Lundy and Silverberg and kind of provide an extra physical and energy dynamic to that line that the other two don't really have. They're much more like technical players no it does if that makes sense they're not you know what i mean they're not they're not physical they're much just they're yeah, much more and, and lindstrom play have a kind of a similar uh mindset in the way they approach the game i think silver is a bit more of a, a shooter and lindstrom is a bit more of a playmaker but the way they approach the game defensively is fairly similar and i, I think they benefit from having a player like mctavish i would be interested honestly to see how mctavish does with getzlaff and terry that just feels like it'd be a a really cool dynamic to put a player like that like we know over the past years like the ducks have always loved to plug the big physical wingers who can go to the net with ryan getzlaff you know obviously nick ritchie and pat maroon and max jones have all had time significant time with getzlaff over the years so it felt like it was an uh, at some point McTavish would be put with Getzlaff, but because of the chemistry of Getzlaff and Terry and how that line as a whole with Adam Henrique on it has done, it's really hard to say, okay, yeah, we're going to break up one-third of that line and see what happens. Like, you don't want to mess anything up at that point and, and, you know, mess up what Getzlaff and Terry have going. But I would love to see that at some point, some point down the road if McTavish is still here to see him get a shot with those two. Here's here's my question about that. Doesn't it make sense in a 
in one aspect to move McTavish up to the Getzloff wing and drop Rico down, given that Rico has shown this season so far that he's been able to produce. Like, I think dropping him down with Lundstrom and Silverberg could do a lot of good. I think that would create a really balanced line, and it would probably be the best version of a checking line that the Ducks could put out. And then I just think, like you said, like putting McTavish and his buzzsaw game out there with two players in Getzloff and Terry who, you know, just read the game so well. Like, I think that could be, that could be pretty incredible, you know? And then obviously I think when Raquel comes back, you have to play Raquel with Milano and Zegris. I think that just has to be what it is. And I think if you ask me right now, I would say that's probably the best version of a top nine that I can think of with Anaheim right now. I, I would do it. No, no, I, I yeah. would do it. Sorry, I, sorry. I think it, it kind of fits into what I was going to bring up here is um, the Duck Podcast, who I think they he used to be – what is the podcast? It used to be a podcast two guys did, and I should know this. I think it was the Puck Podcast, I think. Um, the one was a Kings fan, one's a Ducks fan. Anyway, he asked Aikens a question tonight about Delore on a line with Zegers and Milano. And Egan's answer was he believes it's important to have a physical presence on that line as well as someone who will drive to the front of the net and create space for those guys to create offense. So I think based on that, like as much as I would love to see Raquel with those two, we probably don't see it. But it makes you wonder why Comtois hasn't been given a shot there. Or maybe eventually McTavish with, with Zegris and Milano. I don't think they'll go that route. But I think Maxim Comtois, if he comes back into the lineup soon, hopefully it comes... Well, Comtois played with him. Didn't he start two or three games ago? I, I think Didn't they played on one the game together. And then... Yeah. No, I, I agree they deserve a little don't bit Don't you think that's just like... The, if, if that's what yeah. Aikens wants, is a physical guy who can drive to the net and create space for those guys, don't you think the ideal person who's not in the lineup right now that could do that would be Maxim Comtois? In exchange for Nick Delory, just all the other things that Maxim Comtois can bring to the game and hopefully getting him going offensively too? If you're looking at people not in the lineup, I still think the best answer to be on that wing would be Max Jones. But I think the next best, yeah, would probably be Comtois or McTavish. The the Comtois thing is so interesting to me because you're 100% right, right? Like to, to the technical aspect of it, because I do think that he is still kind of not saying the other part of it, which is he wants someone who can get in a fist fight yeah. and he doesn't really want Comtois fighting. Um, I, I think so. I still think that's part of it. Um, but yeah, I wonder what that would do for Comtois playing with Milano and Zegers who have this wonderful chemistry and the cycling, or not cycling, but like possession-based game and really, you know, creative and, and movement and stuff like that. Like Comtois would do exactly what you're talking about as far as driving to the net, creating space, you know, being, being a late trailer the into the zone for, you know, if, and I, if, as a secondary option, like mm-hmm. he just, he just feels like he'd be a perfect fit there, which is probably why we won't see it. So, yeah. Well, it's just, I wonder too, like if, if they, and this is the part of it that could a hundred percent just be like overthinking it to death or galaxy braining it. But I do wonder if they don't want to put him up there because there's already, enough pressure on him for not scoring that if he doesn't produce with Zegris, it's like, okay, this really might be a problem now. And like, I don't know that that's fair. And I, I don't know, like I said, like, I don't think that that's necessarily 
the right way to look at it. It seems a little galaxy brain, but I could see that being part of it of like, we don't really want to put that pressure on him in addition to it. And like, I think that's wrong, but like, yeah, you know, I think as, as long as whatever. the ducks keep winning, I, I don't, I don't see the lineup changing too much. Um, unfortunately, that's probably at a sacrifice of Benoit Liberty Grooves missed the last two games. Um, Maybe he gets back in because he's just been rotating it on the fourth line, and I think that's the easiest line. I think that's just been basically a revolving door of different players going in and out of that line right now, especially with Delorier jumping up with Zegers and Milano. But that top nine seems to be as solidified as it can get, and I would imagine going into Thursday against the Carolina Hurricanes, you just run the same lineup. I, I don't think you want to change too much up right now, You know whether Raquel comes back and – and that kind of forces you to make changes, I think, at that point, because there's no way Raquel plays on the fourth line with Steele and, and Grant or and, or Steele and Carrick or whoever it may, ends up being. But we'll, we'll have to see for that. I want to get to one question that Chris had in the chat here about Raquel. He said, do you trade Raquel sooner than the deadline to keep the current roster together, assuming he's healthy? Raquel has four goals in eight games, I think, to start the season. Do you think you like, would you trade him before, earlier just to keep this current roster together if you can get the same for him now that you would at the deadline? So here is is what I – here's how I would say that. I think you need to have a very clear goal for what you want to get in return for him. I don't think that – you necessarily want it to be a thing where it's like, well, we'll just go and as we go along and see what the best offer is because you're giving other people time to make certain types of moves. Whereas if you have a goal in mind, like, you know, I understand that there's the opportunity cost of someone providing something more, but there's also the fact of like, if you can get what you want, say thank you, you know? And so I think that they should have a baseline value for Raquel and, if somebody's willing to meet that, I have no problem with sending him out sending him out ahead of time. If nobody's willing to meet it, well, let me say this. Once somebody is willing to meet it, I think you just make the trade. If no one's willing to do it, then I think you go all the way out to the deadline, and I don't think it's an issue. You can always send McTavish down. You can always send Comtois down. Like There are ways to create roster spots. You can trade one of the guys at the bottom. You can you know move on from Sam Steele. Like, there's just stuff you can do. So I, I don't think that I'm worried about the top nine ex- like continuing to be what it is in the terms of trading Raquel, but I, I do think they need to have a very good uh, assault. Like, yeah, just no, I don't you mean. Price tag. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm trying to say it a little too cute, but yeah, don't waiver off that. Like, and... Know what you want. Yeah, and if someone gives it to yeah, you, and, just and let it I go. would say because some, uh, fresh fresh flock makes a good point in the chat here about Perot in San Diego and his emergence this year and his breakout season on how that could play into Ricard Raquel's availability and how it makes him a bit more expendable. On top of that, like added to that, I think Troy Terry's emergence, Milano's. You know the way he's broken out this year with Zegers, the fact he's got nine points in twelve games, and Mason McTavish actually being a positive impact on the Ducks roster, and Pistuyov as well in Guelph and, and his breakout season in the OHL. You've got like pieces in the NHL right now that have established spots in the top six. You've got young guys 
college just down the road from you that are ready to come up and another young guy in junior hockey who looks like he is going to be a player for you in the next couple of years. I think of all the players that could potentially get traded, it makes Ricard Raquel the most likely. You know, probably was beforehand just to begin with, but now with all these guys emerging and a lot of players taking up spots and Max Jones still coming back in the lineup, hopefully near the end of the year, if not for next year, like somebody's got to go. And it, it, you know, with Raquel being a restricted or an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, and you know, still having some value with the contract that he has and the production that he's put up, like he just, it just makes him more expendable, I think, at this point. And and it, I would be supremely surprised to see him still with the Ducks after the trade deadline. Like I, I just can't see a scenario where that happens. Even if Troy Terry and Milano tail off and McTavish gets sent back down to junior and maybe Perot cools down a little bit, like ev- all the signs point to him moving on with everything the Ducks have going for them right now and coming up in the pipeline. Yeah, I, 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 I don't want to guess guess too much, but I think also part of maybe what Fresh Flock was referring to there, as far as like Perot specifically, is like when you look at Ricard Raquel. You go, oh, that's a top six yep. right-handed goal-scoring winger. Like, that's what he is. And you look at the Ducks roster, and it's like, if you ask me right now how many guaranteed top six talents were on the roster right now, I, I don't know that the answer is six. And so when you look at moving someone like Raquel, like, as much as you obviously expect to move them down the line and get that return and create the roster spots just because like you, everything you said his age unrestricted free agent his ability to help uh, a contending team you know his minimal effect if you don't have anyone to replace him you're not necessarily going to be in as much of a rush and i think perot specifically looks the closest as far as being that right-handed shot who can be a difference maker at a pro level and what he's doing in San Diego right now is, is is the indicator of that. So I think that's probably why Perot comes up, and I think that's also exactly why I agree that Perot does give you the leeway to maybe move Raquel sooner than you were expecting. Because like, like seriously, Ed, tell me right now, like who is the who who is the top two right wingers on the team right now? If you accept Raquel Troy Terry team. and Sonny Milano because he's playing right wing right now. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I love Silverberg. Like, I, I've never been shy about that. But he, at this point in his career with his age, like, he's a third-line player. But that's great. Like, I, he is a great third-line player to me. You know, the other guys involved, like, their centers are left-wingers. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can play guys on their off-wing. I'm not saying that. But, like you do need that right-handed shot. And given that now the number one center for the Ducks is a lefty, they're going to have to find those guys yeah. Yeah, and, on and the wing. That was always... No, no, Perot does seem though. like that like-for-like replacement in that sense, right? Where he, you know, similar yeah. skill set, right shot on the right wing, and is off to a great start and is not in junior hockey is in the AHL and is the closest of all the Ducks top prospects to making that jump at some point this year, if not next year. Right. So it, it, it does allow you to say, okay, you know, now the stars line, this is the time to move on from Ricard Raquel and, and, you know, get Jacob Perot into the lineup. And you know, I talked about that a little bit. I think it was two, 
two uh, episodes ago of Ducks Morning Brew about Jacob Perot and his start and when he could potentially make his debut. And I, and I think, you know, when Raquel inevitably does get moved near the deadline or at the deadline, I think later on in the season we could see Jacob Perot get that debut as long as he continues the, to produce at the level he is. And you know, who knows, he could step in the lineup at that point. He wouldn't even notice that Raquel's gone just based on, you know, the, the star level and the talent that Jacob Perot brings. Um, all right. We're nearing the hour mark here, so I don't want to drag on too much longer. Any anything you want to hit on that we didn't hit on? Um, it's cool as hell the Ducks won a thousand games. Uh, like I said at the beginning of this thing, I'm really interested to see where they fall and as far as how long it took them to get there. Uh, but it's super cool. Uh, Ryan Getzloff is the greatest duck of all time. I feel like that needs to be said as many chances as we can. Uh, and Troy Terry and Trevor Zegras look like the greatest American duo since Starsky and Hutch. So this is and very for Thursday, meeting with the best team points percentage wise in the NHL in the Carolina Hurricanes, the twelve two and O Carolina Hurricanes. Hardest test of the season for the Ducks, you think? No, I think that was probably think so. tonight. Fourth-ranked offense, best defensive record. Freddie Anderson returning to Honda Center. I think that I think that has to be. No, he he was in fucking. First of all, Freddie isn't at this point isn't a real thing. He spent <laughs> seven years being a giant disappointment in Toronto, coming back to Anaheim. I honestly, I I love the storylines um, for as that... much as the storylines were great for today too, and they're better. I just love potentially Gibby versus Gibby versus Freddie. Or sorry, not, yeah, Gibby versus Freddie on Thursday. Oh, that's always two of the fun. top teams points wise in the NHL going at it. I love it. I just like it's, yeah, but I, you know, if you just ask me like at this point, like it's like, and I'm not. Oh well, you don't give a shit. Um, it's like if you ask me like, would I rather play Boston or would I rather play Toronto? It's like I'd rather play Toronto because it's like Boston, like. It sounds stupid, an old person, but like they fucking know how to win. Like I've seen them kick, I've seen them win yep. games they shouldn't have won. Toronto like doesn't do that yet, so like I'm not, you know. And I I feel similar ways about Carolina and um, Washington. You know, like if Carolina is the more talented team, I think that's pretty indisputable at this point. But if you're asking me just like a game, twenty games in or whatever, like yeah, dude, I don't want to go play against. Kuznetsov and Ovechkin and you know it's just you know I think maybe they weren't at full health obviously right now and so there's something to be said for that but still like I don't want to play that all things considered it was a it was a tougher game I think mentally to go into this one with everything that was on the line for Getzlaff and the thousandth win and, and players will tell you that doesn't play into it but it does it does play into you know playing at home and, and wanting to get that done for Getsy in, in front of the home fans. So I think there'll be some relief going into Thursday's game, but it will still be a tough one. It'll be up there in, in the season as one of the tougher matchups against a really young, tough team to play against. And the Hurricanes, a fully healthy team, they have everybody I think in the in the lineup right now. So it will be an interesting one. But uh, one thing I do want to touch on while we still have some people live here, just so I I, I don't miss you. Um, with the post game show going forward, we are going to try and bring it back every now and then. Um, it's not going to be as long as this one. This was kind of a special one because we, we planned this for a while. When gets off, hits a thousand points. We we're going to come on and just talk about the game. And it just so happened. So much happened in this game that we had 
an hour plus probably worth of stuff to talk about. But going forward, we do want to try and do some more post-game shows. Um, you know, they're just going to be randomly scheduled whenever we have time to hop on and do one. Um, going to be probably closer to... <laughs> Well, you might you might have just lost the sniff the sniffles nickname for the slurpers. <laughs> oh god, there's no world in which Love that it. didn't work out for me. That um, was so funny. No, no, no worries. Um, Sorry. As yeah, so we're gonna try and get these more often. Probably about thirty to forty five minute episodes where we just kind of break down the game, talk about the big topics for the game, and trying to work in a way to get people to call in we've been playing that for a while just like the logistics behind it are a little bit difficult but we want to get that going because we think it'd be a lot of fun especially if we have as many of you as you guys out as we do tonight um, we know there'd be a few of you out there would love to call in and ask questions and then it doesn't get lost in the chat and it's more like a kind of post-game talk show radio type show which is what we kind of want it to be um, so yeah, we're, we're going to try and do these more. We're just working on kind of the scheduling and all the logistics behind it, but, uh, love that you guys all came out tonight. It was a lot of fun. A lot of, well, makes us want to do these a bit more and coupled with ducks morning brew in the morning and the weekly show, uh, every Saturday or Sunday, depending on ducks games, it gives us uh, kind of a full, full breadth of coverage, which is something we kind of all we wanted to do, right. Is, is hit everybody at, uh, at different times. Yeah, no, we, you know, just make it as fun and engaging for you guys as possible because we, it really means the world for us when, you know, people tweet at us or whatever, Discord and talk about all this stuff that we do. Like, it's fun. Like, we just do it to have fun and to share being Ducks fans with people. And so the fact that you guys are all so great about engaging with us means the world. So uh, we're going to just make Eddie keep doing stuff. Um, He's turned into a circus monkey at this point. He doesn't know it yet, but he's just going to have to do this shit for the rest of his life. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to keep trying to do some stuff. We had the uh, Prospect episode that just came out recently, which is still timely because it's just kind of an update to summary. And that was a ton of fun. And we're hoping going forward to get some guests to help us kind of talk about certain groups of people specifically and maybe some guys for the draft ahead. So Yeah, lots of stuff coming. Uh, lots of, lots of content fun, coming. So. Um, but as for kind of what's upcoming, we have uh, Ducks Morning Brew Monday to Friday every morning on YouTube. Um, so make sure to check that out. I'll have one coming out tomorrow morning. Um, you know, we, we talk about Gets Laughs, a thousand point, and all that will probably be saved for the weekly show when we can get most of us on that show, or if it, hopefully all four of us to talk about it. Uh, but we'll be hit. Yeah, that's uh, never gonna we'll happen see. again. But uh, we'll be talking about some things tomorrow. Three topics, as always, tomorrow morning. Uh, the weekly show will be back this Saturday or Sunday. There's no Ducks game this weekend, so we'll just find out what time works the best to get all of us on. So just stay tuned to our our Twitter for that. And then we are gonna be still releasing more things on our Patreon, some bonus episodes as well, uh, and hopefully doing another watch along again because we did one for the Seattle game. And uh, and that was a lot of fun. Everybody seemed to enjoy that. Was that. A lot of fun. So we're looking into when we can do more of those, uh, where we can get all the guys on, or at least three of us on, and and on what platform we're going to do it on that makes it uh, more engaging for you guys. So lots of stuff coming from you know Ducks Morning Brew to the weekly show to Patreon. So make sure to check it all out and love that you guys came out and relish in 
how excellent this game was. Getzloff hitting a thousand points, the Ducks winning a thousand games, Trevor Zegers on a tear. It's uh, <laughs> Stephen enjoying his his Slurpee. Enjoy enjoy it all, my boba. Because you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully it lasts coming into Thursday. We got a big game coming up, and uh, we we hope to see you guys all out there again. Yeah, there's no way this is a mirage. Have a great Take night, care, everybody. Guys.